0: Our text this evening is Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to 13, uh, so you can open your Bibles there, It'll be helpful for you of those verses in front of you as we think this evening about Christian contentment, Christian contentment. Monday the 20th of March 2023 was International Happiness Day. I don't know if you marked that day in any particular way, not to sound like a grumpy old man, but Sounds a bit silly to me, an international happiness day. Apparently we in the UK are slightly less happy than we were last year because we've gone from being the 17th happiest country in the world to the 19th. So at least we're still in the top 20, although Ireland is now in 14th place. So depending on what kind of passport you hold, some of us this evening might be happier than others. I don't know of any idea how happiness is measured or how you come up with the top 20 happiest countries in the world. Happiness, however, is not the same as contentment. It's relatively easy in the kinds of circumstances that we live in, in the part of the world that we live in, it's relatively easy to be happy from time to time. Maybe you're happy about an exam result or just happy that an exam is over. Um, Happy about some particular form of entertainment that you get to go and see the latest movie that you've been looking forward to seeing. Happy that you had a fairly good day at the office. Any of those kinds of things can bring some measure of passing happiness for a limited period of time. But it's not the same as contentment. Contentment is something far deeper and far richer. And contentment is in very short supply in our world. Even think of some of those things I just mentioned. The blockbuster movie is hyped up for months and months and it finally comes out and maybe it's good or maybe it's a flop. But within days, if not hours, the hype begins for the next one, which everyone hopes will be even bigger and even better. Or a new phone, a new smartphone is released to customers, the fastest, the biggest screen, the best looking Within a few weeks, attention turns to the next one on its way. And whoever just spent money on the first one begins to immediately regret it. A lot of the time, many people in our consumer culture today have the same attitude as Mr. Burns, the character in The Simpsons who is a multi-billionaire. On one occasion, Homer Simpson says to Mr. Burns, Mr. Burns, you're the richest guy I know. And Mr. Burns replies with a smile, yes. Yes. But I would trade it all for a little more. And that's the attitude of many people in our culture today. We have so much, but we would just like a little more. And yet in this endless quest for more and for bigger and for better, we find ourselves actually in a, a rather sad and lonely and unhappy society in many ways. No matter what the happy, happiness rankings might be telling us. And so if there is a way for us to be truly content, we should be extremely eager to know what it is. And Paul here tells us that he has learned the secret of true contentment. And so we want to tease out some thoughts about this word contentment this evening that Paul uses. And the first thing that we learn from what Paul says in this section of his letter is that Christian contentment goes hand in hand with Christian gratitude. Contentment goes hand in hand with gratitude, with being thankful. Uh, and, and what I'm saying here is that even if you are really content with what you have, uh, it's still important and you should still show genuine gratitude when someone offers you help or encouragement or gifts you with some blessing of some kind. In fact, as we see here uh, in this letter, one of the main reasons Paul wrote this letter was to thank the Philippians for all the practical and prayerful support that they've been giving him while he's in prison. He wants to make very clear to them that he's content. Yes, we'll think more about that in a moment. But his contentment doesn't mean that Paul is, that sees himself as self-sufficient, that he, that he just is not interested or not appreciative Of the help of anyone. That he's just sort of a lone ranger Christian. No, 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 no. I'm fine. Thank you very much. Every time someone offers him help. Maybe some of the the most quoted song lyrics by preachers. When they try to make a point along the lines that I'm making this evening. Preachers often quote the words of Paul Simon. In his song, I am a rock. And some of the lyrics of that song. A well known and well loved song. I have no need of friendship. Friendship causes pain. It's laughter and it's loving, I disdain. I am a rock. I am an island. And the words are sung in a defiant, sort of self reliant kind of tone. Well, contentment is not about laughing off the friendship and the, the offers of support of other people. Just look what Paul says in verse 10. He says, I rejoiced, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Far from saying that Paul uh, doesn't need the help of the Philippians, he says he rejoiced when they showed concern for him. And of course, this has been our theme word, really, of the letter, the word rejoiced. Uh, In chapter 4, verse 4, Paul commands the Philippians to rejoice in the Lord. And here now he leads by example. Here's something that uh, that he says has enabled him to rejoice. And it's the friendship and it's the help, it's the practical support that the Philippians gave him in prison. Paul was a very contented man, as we'll see more of in a moment. Had he not received anything from the Philippians, he would still have been a contented man. He wouldn't have been in a huff. He wouldn't have been writing to them to say, here, where have you been? been? I've been needing you. But even though he was content, regardless of whether anyone offered him any help, he was still genuinely grateful for the love of the Philippians. It's important that we understand what he's saying as well in verse 10. He says, at last you have revived your concern for me. Uh, maybe it's just the way I'm thinking of it as I read that translation, but it almost sounds as if you know he's saying it's taken you long enough. <laughs> In the, in the ESV there, that's, that's not what he's saying. The word there for revived, uh, it's a word that only appears this once in the whole New Testament. It has the sense of something blossoming, uh, something coming into its own. And so if you think of the, the flowers suddenly blooming in your garden, uh, the power for it to bloom has been there all along. It just hasn't had a chance to do it yet. It's only in the season that we're now in, the springtime, that, that the flowers come out. And Paul is saying here that he knows that the Philippians have been thinking about him. He he knows that they have been wanting to help him, that they've been concerned for him. They just didn't have an opportunity to show it. It's quite possible that the gift the Philippians sent to Paul in Rome via Epaphroditus, if you remember we thought about that back in chapter 2, they had sent probably a financial, maybe clothing and other things, they had sent that to Paul via Epaphroditus And that was quite possibly the first direct or well indirect contact that Paul had had with someone from Philippi in 10 years. It was about 10 years since Paul had planted the church in Philippi along with Silas and Timothy and Luke. And in all that time since the Philippians had never had an opportunity to send someone and to as clearly and Uh, And generously demonstrate to Paul their love for him. But now they have. And Paul is genuinely, joyfully grateful. But he just also wants them to know how content he is. If you look at verse 11. Not that I am speaking of being in need. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. It's difficult to do this, isn't it? To get the balance between assuring someone of your contentedness and also showing gratitude for their help. Uh, and that's what Paul's doing here. He's, he's expressing his contentedness, but also his gratitude for their help. He's saying to them, I don't want you to feel under any pressure to repeat this very generous act again and again. I appreciate so much for what you have done. Thank you. You've made me, you've given me reason to rejoice in the Lord. But please know as well, even in the times where you can't help me or you can't reach me, I'm content no matter what my circumstances may be. My guess is that at least some of us, some of you members of this church, you could honestly say you're very content. Few of us face dire material or financial need. When you consider the experience of many people in the world today, uh, we, are, uh, we are incredibly blessed in so many ways. But we should still be grateful for whatever gifts or support we do receive from time to time from one another. From our family, from our church family, from our friends, or neighbours. We should still be humble enough to realise that uh, every good thing we enjoy, every favourable circumstance, every meal, every item of clothing, every assurance of prayer, it comes ultimately from God himself. It's God ministering to us through the hands of his people. And that's why Paul could say, I rejoiced in the Lord. If you remember, we thought about those words a few weeks back, in the Lord. He was a man who knew how to be content, but also knew how to accept help with gratitude. And that should be true of us as well. That regardless of our circumstances or our own sense of need or our own sense of sufficiency... That we're thankful to God and to our fellow believers for the care that we're shown. It's a reason. Every every token of help is a reason to rejoice with gratitude in the Lord. So Christian contentment goes hand in hand with Christian gratitude. Secondly, Paul tells us here that Christian contentment has to be learnt. Christian contentment has to be learnt. Um, I'll not read through what is a lengthy uh, answer this week in the bullet. And you can see it there. The Westminster Larger Catechism question and answer 83. Uh, The question is, what is the communion and glory with Christ, which the members of the invisible church enjoy in this life? And so it's a part of the catechism about what we can already enjoy as believers, this side of heaven. Things that we can taste a little bit of this side of heaven. There are some things that we get automatically Upon being saved, we're justified, uh, we we were we're filled with the Spirit to cry out and praise to God. but there's much of our much of our Christian experience, most of, much of our Christian lives, that it's a process of of growing and learning. And one of the things we have to learn, friends, is contentment. Twice in verses eleven to thirteen, Paul describes contentment as something that he has had to learn. He also describes it as a secret that he has had to discover. So it wasn't something that Paul instantly had the moment he met Jesus and got saved. It was something that he had to learn about over the course of time. And if you read carefully, and and perhaps you'll be familiar with Paul, his letters, and what the book of Acts tells us about him as well. If you read thoughtfully about the Apostle Paul, the impression you get is of a highly driven highly ambitious man someone who didn't like sitting still Paul was no sooner finished one missionary journey than he was asking right when do we start the next missionary journey uh, there were times as well uh, when he was prevented from going certain places that he wanted to go uh, in fact that was how he end up ended up in Philippi if you read Acts chapter 16 uh, the spirit of Jesus Christ had stopped him from going into one place and directed him to go to a different place Even in some of his letters, he talks about his plans and he says, if it's the Lord's will, we will go here, we will do this, we will do that. So the point I'm making, friends, is that Paul was not easily contented. He hasn't learned how to be content because he doesn't have a very big to-do list and he's content just to sit and do nothing. Uh, He wasn't content with just not bothering to get up or to, to push himself. He was highly driven. He was... A hard worker. He was ambitious in the right sense of the word. Ambitious uh, in in a godly sense for the sake of the gospel. But he had to learn to be content. There were times when it wasn't God's will for him to go to a certain place with the gospel. Or to stay longer in a certain place. He had to learn to be content. And by the help of the Holy Spirit, by the same process of sanctification that all of us have to go through, Paul had developed a contentment that was entirely independent of whatever circumstances he was in. That's really what he emphasizes in verse 12, that he had come through all kinds of circumstances, but had remained or had learned to be content in them all. If you look at verse 12, look at the contrast. Uh, The the contrast that he gives us. In any and every circumstance I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. He says, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. Isn't it interesting, by the way, that he says he knows how to be content when he abounds. When everything is going well. Some of us make the excuse that we would be content if we had this (coughs) or had that. And we maybe excuse grumpiness or a lack of contentment by saying, I would be content if the weather was better. If I had this possession, if God just gave me this or gave me that, or if my salary reached X amount. A few years ago, Hannah read an interesting book about Denmark, it really was interesting. Um, it, was, it was called Living Danishly. Uh, and interestingly enough, Denmark currently ranks number two on the list of uh, the happiest countries in the world. Uh, but the author mentioned in this book that recent research from uh, several universities suggests that there is a basic income threshold beyond which any more money adds nothing to levels of well-being or a sense of satisfaction in life. So if you reach a certain salary... You can't expect to be any happier beyond it. And we're all immediately thinking, well, that salary must be like, what, 500,000 pounds or a million pounds a year. The salary was a five-figure amount, not a six or a seven or an eight-figure amount. The old saying goes, more money, more problems. Wealth is no guarantee at all of contentment. In fact, it can cause a great deal of discontentment. And rates of mental ill health are actually far higher in richer countries in the world than they are in more poverty stricken places. Paul is saying here that whether you're rich or poor, you're going to have to learn contentment. Here's what John Calvin says in this verse. He says about the need for contentment if you're wealthy. He says, he who knows how to use present abundance soberly wisely, has learned to excel and abound. This is an excellent and rare virtue, and much greater than the endurance of poverty. It's interesting from Calvin. He says, if you have have all that you need, if you have plenty of clothes, plenty of food, if you didn't starve yesterday, and you're not going to starve today, and you're not going to starve tomorrow, and yet you know how to be content in those circumstances... You've actually learned something to do, something that is far harder than putting up with less, according to Calvin. Paul knew how to be content in both extremes. And if he could be content in the extremes, he obviously could be content with anything in between. And Paul had lived through his fair share of rough experiences. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty four. 24 Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles. He goes on, many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Paul had learned contentment in situations like that and in the opposite kinds of situations, plenty and abundance. I said earlier that I would imagine many of us in this church would say we are largely contented people. But it's maybe not true of all of us. Maybe it's not true of all of us all the time. And perhaps there are inconveniences in our lives right now, things that we would love to change. Or something that we wish we had? Could it be that God is teaching us the secret of contentment? Is he depriving you of something you wish you had so that you would see how much you already have in Christ? The psalmist says, joy in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desire. That doesn't mean joyfully sing a few psalms and you'll get a higher salary. Or the dream house. It means the more you find joy in the Lord, the less inclined you'll be to look for joy in the world, to expect to find joy in the world. The more you find joy in the Lord, the less inclined you'll be to look for joy in the world. If we lack contentment, could it be that we are too attracted to the world's attractions? still falling for the lie that some experience or some person or some possession will give us all the satisfaction that we want. One of the little Puritan paperback books is written by Jeremiah Burroughs. It's called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. And even the title is thought-provoking, The Rare Jewel. He says if you, if you find contentment, it's like finding a, a priceless treasure that's hard to find. Contentment is learned in the various circumstances of wealth and poverty, happiness and sorrow, gain and loss that all of us go through over the course of a lifetime. And so we need to learn it, friends, and pray that God would teach us to be truly content, whatever our circumstances. And that leads us to the last thing that Paul teaches us about contentment this evening. We've seen that it goes hand in hand with gratitude. We've seen that it needs to be learned But lastly, Christian contentment requires the power and the help of Jesus Christ. Christian contentment requires the power of Jesus Christ. The Bible doesn't keep anything a secret from us if it's vital for our spiritual growth. And so here Paul mentions the secret of contentment in verse 12, but he doesn't keep it a secret. If you look at verse 13, I can do all things through him, it's obviously Christ, who strengthens me. It's important that we don't misunderstand or misapply this verse. It's probably a favourite verse of a lot of Christians. The sort of verse that you see on social media posts or in other forms of Christian artwork. It's a wonderful verse. Wonderful, reassuring verse. A challenging verse. But we must be careful not to use it in ways that Paul doesn't intend. And the sense of the verse really is I can do all these things through him who strengthens me? What are what are the these things that Paul is talking about in verse thirteen? Well, it's the various sort of situations he's just described in verse twelve: abundance and need, plenty and hunger. So Paul is not saying here, friends, that he can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however impossible it may seem that that Jesus will just grant every. Possible crazy request that we might have that Jesus is just a genie in a lamp and our wish is his command. This verse does not mean that if I'm in a gym and I want to go over and bench press 200 kilograms, that Jesus will give me the strength to do it. It doesn't mean that if a preacher doesn't prepare properly during the week and just decides to walk into the pulpit and hope for the best, that Jesus will give him the ability to preach the world's greatest ever sermon doesn't mean that the Christian young person can just say, I'll not bother revising for my exam because when I sit the exam, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The point of the verse is not that Jesus will make everything turn out hunky-dory all the time. It's that Jesus will be with us all the time. That we will never be separated from his love, his presence We can never lose our salvation, our hope of heaven and resurrection. And so we always have reason to be content because of what we have and who we are in Christ. So Christian contentment, friends, is dependent upon our union with Christ. Paul is saying here, I can sit in a prison through Christ who strengthens me. I can do the revision for the exams through Christ who strengthens me. I can lead a Bible study or preach a sermon and prepare to preach a sermon through Christ who strengthens me. I can grieve the loss of a loved one through Christ who strengthens me. I can celebrate a wedding day through Christ who strengthens me. I can suffer persecution at the hands of my Muslim neighbours through Christ. Who strengthens me. I can cope with unemployment through Christ who strengthens me. I can keep up my witness to my unsaved family or friends through Christ who strengthens me. See, Christ fuels our contentment. And if you're in Christ, then demands are easier to bear. A call to the mission field, whether that mission field may be near or far, is easier to accept because you're answering that call with Christ. If your contentment is in Christ, then a time of separation from loved ones, whether temporary or even permanent, can be endured in Christ. The word Paul uses here for strengthen, it's actually the Greek word dunamos. It's where we get our word dynamite. Incredible power is available to you if you're a Christian. The power of God will help you and overshadow you in any and every circumstance. As it has done for God's people down through the centuries. The God who parted the Red Sea. The God who provided Abraham, a hundred year old Abraham with a little son. God who enabled David to kill Goliath. Conceived a son in the womb of the virgin. Raised Jesus from the dead. When you feel weakened or discouraged or discontented, the power and the strength of a mighty, all knowing, all powerful God is there for you. (coughs) Isaiah 40, verse 10 says, Behold, the Lord comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms, he will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. Notice what Isaiah says, God uses his strength and his might for tenderly gathering in those who are in need as a shepherd gathers his sheep. Philippians 4 verse 13 doesn't mean you'll be the richest, the biggest and the strongest. It means that when you're the smallest, The poorest and the weakest, that Christ will strengthen you. The one who is the greatest, the biggest, and the strongest, he will enable you to be content. Jesus, on one occasion, said to his disciples, Without me, you can do nothing. Paul is putting it a different way here. He's saying, With him, you can cope with anything. Are you looking for contentment in the world? Or have you come by faith to Christ and found contentment in him? The great orators and philosophers of Paul's day, they they were really the the celebrities of their day. The people who could get up and make great speeches about the purpose of life and uh, where you could find satisfaction. And and they were preaching to a man almost. They were were preaching a message of self-sufficiency in Paul's culture. That was the Greek way of thinking. That you, that you had to become self-sufficient. You had to become someone who didn't need anyone else. That's Paul Simon's philosophy as well. I am a rock. I am an island. Paul is telling us the exact opposite here. Contentment isn't found in being self-sufficient. It's found in being Christ-sufficient. And finding that Christ is sufficient. Come to him tonight. If you never have come to him before. Come back to him tonight if you have been searching for contentment in the wrong places, in the wrong ways. Ask for him to teach you more about this rare jewel of Christian contentment. Cast your cares upon the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Amen.